I want to quickly address um, Sarah's question about many are caught, few were chosen. So Elizabeth was able to retrieve that verse of the Bible. So we'll read it in context. Okay, I also want to say that, you know, many times, uh, Pastor D, please can you help me press record on the audio one there? No, 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 just the audio, that one, the, the, that one is on ready. Yeah, fantastic. So, thanks, sir. Uh, what I want to say here is that when people quote scriptures to you and it tries to give it a meaning, you know, some t- if you don't really understand it, you want to take some time out when you have some chance to read the entire passage to understand the context of what's been said. Because anybody can hijack a verse of the Bible and make it say something they want it to say. Right? And that's why most of the time, all of this money matters in the Bible, thighting, ages, and stuff like that are taken out of context. Right? So uh, you have the, the verse, right? So I'll let Elizabeth read for us. Right? Um, it's from Matthew chapter 22, from verse 1 um, to verse 14. And we'll read the New King James because that's where it's got that phrase. Um, the parable of the wedding feast. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was um, speechless. Then the king said to, him, to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Amen. Amen. Thanks, uh, Elizabeth. So if you look at it in context, from the very beginning, a lot of people were invited to that feast. But a few dead. Sorry, I'm, I'm cutting off here. I don't know why. A lot of people, everyone was invited to the feast, but only few responded. And the few who were responded are the ones who were chosen. So, uh, who are called chosen ones. But there was no, not but, there was never a discrimination for, uh, to select a few and, and um, exclude some people to, you know, to feast with God, to become children of God. So being a child of God, being a Christian, being blessed by God is not for a selected few. It's for the people who respond. So the chosen one in that context, right, uh, which is the reason why I'm saying that 
we need to be cautious of how the Bible is written. You know, the Bible was not written in English language originally. It was translated into English language and there was a way people spoke those in those days. Now, because the origin of that word was not uh, English, an English person, an English-speaking person will want to interpret it with the English term and say, you know, many are called, but few are chosen. These are the few that were chosen. But how they will play to you is out of context because they're not telling you the full story that everyone was invited, but some people choose to respond and the people who chose to respond are the chosen one, right? But the banquet was prepared for everybody, right? The, uh, the blessings of God, being a child of God is available to everybody. Pastor, do you want to shoot? Yeah. Okay, I, I get it. So, Pastor, uh, speak. Go for it. The, the parables in the the parables in the Bible, all of the parables in the Bible have they're actually talking about the kingdom of God. And so because it's talking about the kingdom of God, in that context, the parable is just talking about the invitation of human beings to into Christ. Right? And then and that's why he said it's a banquet coming in to come and eat, and some people came and some people did not come. So the people that have come, that have come for the banquet that were invited are the, are the ones, it's actually a parable about the kingdom, are the ones who have heard the gospel and have believed on the gospel. The ones actually who um, are not in the banquet are the ones who did not believe on the gospel. So when he says many are called, meaning everybody was the gospel preached unto, which everybody was... It's everybody that we go out and preach the gospel to, to tell, come into the kingdom of Christ. But only few people believe on that gospel. Only few people have believed. So it's not actually God doing the choosing. We do the choosing by actually believing the gospel. So, so the part with the garment? No, that garment right there is what we call the garment of righteousness. When a man believes on the gospel, he becomes righteous. So because that is a parable, he's trying to say, no, when you believe on the gospel, for example, you now have a gamut on. That gamut is a spiritual gamut, not Louis Vuitton. So you have a gamut on now. It's called the gamut of righteousness. You cannot see it because it's spiritual. But in that parable, we just are told there is a gamut. So the idea will be, if someone was looking at all of us from the spiritual point of view, if anyone came into this room and was not born again, we'll be able to say, he doesn't have a garment on. The real meaning of that is that he is not born again. So that's why God is, Jesus is able to say, he is not born again. What is he doing around the corridors of this party? Because the only people that should be in this party are those with the garment. How do you get the garment? By believing on Jesus. So the garment is how we know that you are born again. In English, every day, in Bible terms, it's called the seal of the Holy Spirit. So when you get born again, the Bible says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. In that parable, and that's why it's a parable, it's a story. The, Jesus used parables to tell the people that he knew they didn't have so much of understanding. He used a story, just like, for example, if I wanted to explain something to Fabian, I would use a story to try to make him make sense of what I really want to say. So at the end of the day, what he's just really trying to say, it's not a literal, that's why it's a parable. 
No one should take a parable literally. That's the first mistake you make with a parable. So that's just talking about the kingdom of God. You believe on the gospel. You get into the kingdom. When you get into the kingdom, you have a gamut. If you don't believe on the gospel, you don't have any gamut. So we actually are doing the choosing. God is the one calling on to us. When we believe, then we are actually in him. We have been chosen in the fact that we choose. Amen. Thanks, Pastor D. So I was going to add to that. Now, what that also means is this. You don't become, you know, your goodness, no matter how much nice you have been, does not qualify you for the kingdom of God. Right? So it's not your actions that will make you a child of God. I'm tempted to use the generic word, take you to heaven. But if I should live, if I should touch on that, take it to heaven, it will take us two hours to clarify it. Amen. So let's not go there. Amen. So oh, that makes sense, right? So we should learn to read it in context. Like I was saying earlier on that, the fact that Jesus asked you to chop off your hand, if your hand gets you to sin, he's not saying that you should cut off, uh, remove you, cut off your hand. He's saying that that thing that ushers sin into your life, get rid of it. Amen. And um, somebody said that one of the reasons why he, Jesus may have used that ex, uh, example is that it's going to be very painful for you to get rid of that thing because that thing has been, you've, been, you've identified with that thing so much that it's part and parcel of you, but now you got to get rid of it. Make sense? Good. So we're talking about sin coming to the world. Previously, let me try to remind us how we get there. So we, we're looking at the aftermath of the death of a spiritual death, right? Yeah, let me say that. Good. So we're looking at the aftermath of the fall, after man sinned, and what happened to him. And I was trying to help us see, you know, to understand in, in detail, more detail, the fact that a person is a sinner not because of their actions, but because of the nature of sin they inherited from Satan. So let's look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. I'll move quickly a little bit because uh, we've taken up time for my for our third session. So we're kind of like one one and a half sessions behind, but we'll get there. Now Romans twelve five so Romans five twelve, I'll read from the uh, NIV. It said, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man. From our study of Genesis chapter two and chapter three, who was the one man? Adam. So through the scene of Adam, death, what kind of death are we talking about here? Spiritual death. And what are that spiritual death? What are they, I mean, what, what, what do they look like? I mean, the manifestation, if there's a better way to, to if it's a non-Christian way to say manifestation, please teach me. So the signs, the evidence of spiritual death you know, a few things I called out was shame, fear, passing the buck, hatred, envy, self-centeredness. I want to repeat again. So if your husband did something wrong and blames you for it, he is acting under the falling nature. And this is where I try to win the heart of many. Uh, we, I, mean, I try to be on the side of many wives uh, because men can be, uh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. So well, don't point a finger at him and say you're, you're laboring under the fallen nature. Amen. <laughs> All right. So the Bible tells us here in verse 12 that therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. 
there's a technicality in there that I can't go into detail of it. But let's look at it based on how the Bible says it here. So in a sense, the spiritual death, when sin came into the world, it brought about death and infected the human race. So the moment a, a, a person born into this world are able to differentiate between good and evil, like Eve and um, this guy was Eve and Adam, sin gains access into their life and they die spiritually. Paul says that in the book of Romans chapter 7. So the moment a person can tell that this is evil, this is good, I don't know that age, I don't know, but the moment a person gets to that point and they can tell the differentiate between evil and good, sin comes alive in them and it kills them. And they become a sinner. And that's why they need to give their life to Christ. So when somebody tells you that, what kind of God is he who sends kids to hell? That person does not know what they're talking about because babies will never end up in hell for any reason. Because sin has not taken its course in their life to kill them. Because you got to be a person who can differentiate between good and evil for sin to come alive in you and kill you spiritually. Does it make any sense? Good. Uh, some of you may be hearing that for the first time. We can talk more about that one during the foyer. But that's how sin come alive in people. Amen. So if you have a child and you see them, they started manifesting some stuff. I don't want to give any age bracket to it. You want to minister the gospel to your child. Amen. The fact that you have a child and you were born into it, they were born to a Christian family and they go to church with you does not mean they are saved. When a child is becoming of age, you got to minister the gospel to them. Because you're taking them to church does not give the does not exclude the devil. No, no, no. Okay. You're taking them to church does not make the devil. Now, this is quite a long. The fact that you're taking them to church does not mean that they, the devil cannot walk through them or walk in them. So you better introduce them to Christ, teach them their, their rights and responsibilities in Christ so that when the enemy come after them, when they go to school, they can stand their ground. Amen. So verse 13, I repeat, says, so to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. We can't talk about that today. Nevertheless, Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking the command as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, this was what the Bible says there, many died spiritually as a result of the offense of Adam. So, a person who is spiritually dead is a person we call a sinner. So a sinner is not a sinner because of their actions, but because of the infection of sin on the human race. So to be a sinner is not to because you are acting like a sinner. To be a sinner is because you, you, you have the nature of sin. You've been affected by sin in the world. Amen. That was before you give your life to Christ, I mean. It says, so, but uh, I'm moving too fast. Nevertheless, verse 14, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time, uh, to the time of Moses, or even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. Verse 15, but the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, 
how much more that God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. Now, can the gift of God be compared with the result of man's sin? The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Condemnation is associated with the fall of man with spiritual death. Never, never think God is condemning you. God will never condemn you. One of the young chaps in the, in, in the room today asked me, he said, how do I differentiate my voice from God's voice, or is it my, the voice of my spirit? I said, one true test is this. Your, 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 uh, the spirit of God in you, your spirit, when, the spirit in you will never, never condemn you. If it's anything negative, it's not your spirit. It's not God speaking to you because your spirit is holy. Your spirit is perfect. Your spirit has been sealed, which means has been stamped with the spirit of the most high God. The spirit of God is good. So the, the, the only, your spirit, your born again spirit will never write you off, will never condemn you, will never tell you you are good for nothing. Many times those voices sound like they are coming from inside, but it's a lie they are coming from here. That is another spiritual level. Uh, no, 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 let me let sound like see one. That's a level of maturity. It will sound because the devil will want to make something sound to you as if, you know, it's coming from inside of you. That you know, but it's a lie. It's coming from here. Don't forget the test we did earlier on. When your spirit is speaking to you, it's not something you feel. You just know it. There is knowing. And I said to us that we need to train our mind to be able to hear when the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Because no matter how much information and knowledge and you know, advice the Holy Spirit wants to give to you, until you train your mind, don't forget your mind, your soul, actually carries instruction, executes it and give it to your body to act on. If your soul cannot pick the signals, cannot understand the signal, you know, it, will, it will go by default with the loudest voice or the ones it's much more familiar with, which most of the time are the voice you've been hearing for a long time. So when somebody said to you they went to fast and pray, and God told them some kind of nasty stuff, you know it was a lie. They didn't hear God, they had themselves. Makes sense. So the Bible telling us here that, one second, it's coming. Uh, let me go back to verse uh, 16. It said, now can the gift... Of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. So the kind of judgment that came upon the action of um, the sin of Adam was condemnation. You saw those guys that were afraid, they fell unworthy of God and stuff like that. I would say to you very much extent, God was not the one judging them. So you don't need to tell a sinner what they are doing is wrong because something on the inside of them tells them you are condemned already. So someone like me, when I don't condemn people, I don't say you are this, you are a sinner. It's not my business. Now, turn your Bible to John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. John 3, 16 and 17. And this is just after lunch. This is when you guys are meant to do some exercise because you guys have eaten and you guys might be feeling sleepy. But don't worry, I'm going to get you up at some point. Amen. John 3, 16, 17. Yes. Carry on, carry on, because you guys got to be awake. To be awake. Go on. Hmm? Did you hear that? Jesus did not come. He said it. I didn't say it. If you read that in New King James Bible, New King James, you see that's written red. Jesus said he did not come to write you off. He didn't come to tell you you are good for nothing. He said it came that you might be restored, be saved, be made whole, be made new, be made confident. 
be made bold and courageous to call God your father. So when a man of God is condemning you, say, Sarah, look at you, and started telling you the story of your past. He's a collaborator with the devil. He's not a man of God. At that point in time, he's a man of the flesh, of the devil. Just trying to be, not to be too mean. Because if Jesus did not come to tell you that you are good for nothing, so who is that one who has the voice and the right to tell you are good for nothing? Who? Why? And that should provoke you to say, when you hear that voice, you say, shut your mouth. You can take a leave from the book of myself and my wife. When an advert come on the screen and tell us nonsense, we speak back at the TV. It's common practice in my house. We speak back at the TV. If it's radio, we speak back. Because we understand that there is a source. Behind every voice, there is a source. The movies you watch, someone scripted it because they want to, to believe certain things. That's why movies are not harmless. Not all, most movies are not harmless. They have a goal. Somebody wants you to think in a certain way. Amen. They want to believe something. They want to condition your thinking. They want to condition your mind. Amen. So, uh, I was saying that people who are sinners, they are already condemned. No matter how much they, they, they want to look uh, as if they are not bothered by what it's going on in their life, but their state, but that's the gist for another day. So verse 16, okay, now, so verse 17 says, For he by the trespass of the one man, death reigned. Spiritual death. You just need to go on the news, you see spiritual death. The anger, the bitterness, the war going on in Ukraine, and, you know, you, the, all of these are, are the murder, all of the evil you see on TV, you hear of the all suicide, everything, these are result of spiritual death. But listen to this. This is good news for you guys. Say, for he by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Right? How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gifts of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? I repeat. Say, for he by the one if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? When you have Jesus in your life, spiritually you have been set at the position to reign. To be in charge. So the death, the darkness you see in the world is not as powerful, not on any ground as powerful as the power of Jesus at work on the inside of you. So it may not sound like reality in your life, but if you choose to believe in it, if you choose to feed on it, keep thinking it, your heart will begin to respond and you realize that that's what you produce. A Christian should never live a, a defeated life. A life. You should never be like, oh, my life is gone. This has happened to me. Mama. No, you're too big for that. The power of God inside of you is too big for that. It is undermining the capacity of God on the inside of you when you subject yourself to circumstances, negative circumstances. You got to learn to be a fighter. 
And the fight is, is in speaking the right words. Because what's going on in your mind is someone speaking some words running in your mind. Okay, let's do a test. So what's going to happen is this. In your mind, you guys are going to count 1 to 10 in your mind. And when I say, what's your name? You, tell, you shout, you spill out what your name is, your first name. Are we ready? I want to test I want to show you guys the power of your words. Remember? Okay, let me know. I'll remind you what I said. So we're going to count 1 to 10 in your mind. Don't count it out loud, just in your mind. And I'm going to ask, what's your name? You speak it out. Are you ready? Yes. One, two, three, go. What's your name? What happened to the counting? What happened to the counting? I'm trying to be myself. Someone is praying for me, yes, because I feel like jumping, but I want to be calm and nice, right? Okay, now and I, I, got, I got my cool. There's power in the words you speak. Don't hesitate to speak. When negative thoughts are raging in your mind, you pull out your own sword. You speak what, how you want to feel. You know, when people ask you in the morning, how are you feeling? If you're not in morning person particularly, uh -huh, you know how the word, what you guys say. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You say, I'm feeling good. Even though you don't feel the good. <laughs> you say, I'm feeling good. And your body says to you, you know, you're not feeling good. That's what you are feeling now. You will have to respect me, my authority, and you feel the way I want you to feel. What's the point when you're feeling the way you don't want to feel? So if you want to stop those mad and raging and evil thoughts running your mind, what do you do? Speak the right word. Amen. Fantastic. Welcome, guys. Barbara. Nigel. Nice to meet you, guys. We'll, we'll catch up during our, our short break. Amen. Does that, does that make sense? Fantastic. So, now, what Jesus did, we've been talking about what Jesus did, right? So, what, you know, we said, when man died spiritually, after the fall of man, after the sin, there was a spiritual separation. Simply, what Jesus came to do, he came to restore you to God. Simple. What Jesus did was to restore the relationship of humankind to God. So, everyone who is in Christ Jesus should never feel unworthy of God. You may not feel worthy of God. You may not think you are good enough for God. But that ain't, that, that's not God's business. Or should I say that's not your business? What you should focus on is that the fact that he chose you. He calls his own child. So, I think the word I'm looking for is this. What you think about your worthiness of God does not count. What God says about you is what counts. If God says, I love you, I chose you, turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Romans 5, 8 and 9. So that it doesn't sound like I'm coming up with this stuff, so I'm going to give my microphone to someone to read for us. Who wants to read? Who wants to go? Romans 5, 8, 9. Fantastic. So, you know that's not from my Bible. So I'm reading from the NKJV version, um, Romans 5, 8 and 9. But God demonstrated his own love towards me. 
us in that while we were still sinners, Christ. When did God love you? Even when you were not good, when, when you were not worthy of him, he chose to love you. Okay, thank you. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Number nine, verse nine. Much more than, much more than, much more, much more than having now been justified, being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Praise the Lord. I'm not sure if I want to keep teaching in conferences because they don't allow me to be myself. You know, shout, scream, jump, and kick here and there. The Bible says, while you were sinners, worthy of God, God loved you to the point that Jesus came to die for you. Do you, do you know what that, that means? He paid the penalty of everything you have ever done wrong. He paid the penalty for everything you have ever done wrong and the ones you may do in future. Because it's not going to come back and die again for you. So basically what Jesus did was he died to take to deliver human race from the power of sin that's reigning. So people say things like, why did God not step into a situation for a particular believer when things went wrong? The question we should be asking is, what, does, what did the believer believe? Hello. Because the results you see in your life is a function of what you believe. Not what your parent believed or your pastor believes. You know, one of the ladies in my church that I, I, I appreciate so much is, many times she will have dealt with the situation before I hear about it. Sally, Sally. Amen. I didn't mention the boss's name. I just entered uh, his name. She will have dealt with this situation before she came. So when I'm hearing about it, I'm like, you didn't tell me. When my mind, I'm like, it's good, yeah. Because pastor too needs to sleep. Amen. She will have dealt with the situation. This happened. So you prayed about it. You've dealt with the matter. Praise the Lord. That's what I want. If all my church members, our church family members, can learn to deal with situations and I can hear about it afterwards, except it's critical. But if it happens that you're calling my phone, imagine I have 50 people and anything happens, the first thing they do is call my name. Ah, I will not have a life. So the pastor is no more powerful spiritually than you. Because the same power and authority the pastor have access to, you also have it. And the pastor should teach you how to use authority. I don't want to teach pastors their job anyway. That's fine. Let's carry on. Amen. So what I've tried to establish to us there is that God loves you unconditionally. So never think God will love you less after you are a believer, no matter what happened to you. The book of 1 John tells us that even if you sin, we, Jesus Christ is an advocate, is always interceding for you. All you need to do is just to acknowledge, Father, I went wrong there, right? And restore your heart to the Father. God would never change his nature, 
Romans 5, 5 tells us that the love of God has empowered our heart by the Holy Ghost be given to us. I'll come to that verse later on. The one I'm looking at is the book of 1 John chapter 4. John 4. The Bible tells us that God is love. God's nature is love. Now, your actions cannot make God change himself. No. God will not become wicked and unkind because you did something. No. Because you did something wrong. No, God will not. Write that down. You don't write everything down. God will not change himself, himself because of your action. He's too big. He's the almighty God. So what you do, don't think God is surprised or your mistake. God is surprised and thinking, oh, I can't believe you do that. No, no, no. Amen. When I start talking about purpose, I will show you something about um, Apostle Paul. Many, how, many, how many of you guys have killed Christians here? <laughs> how many of you guys here have killed Christians? Murder Christians? Okay. The guy with a with mouth. <laughs> but there's a guy in the Bible who was actually killing Christians, taking Christians into prison. And despite the fact he did all of that, it was the same guy that God used. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And showed the, his goodness and his kindness to the same guy who has committed the sin that you, none of you have ever dreamt of. I never dream about it anyway. <laughs> Amen. God's love is immeasurable, is unconditional, is unfathomable. He just loves you crazy. That's it. So all of that was demonstrated through the love of through Jesus coming to die for you. You know, he came to give you eternal life. And eternal life, to be honest with you, is... Okay, let's go to John 17.3. We quickly define eternal life and we move on. Okay. John 17.3. Uh, I'll come back to this. Who wants to read for us John 17.3 very quickly so that you know what eternal life is? And this is the life eternal that a minority, only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when you hear about gifts of eternal life, it's not about you living forever in heaven with God. Now, eternal life starts right here on earth with God. So you've been able to walk with God. God, God, your Father, is what we call eternal life. Right? He's eternally living with God. And it's that here. So when you hear songs like, when we get to heaven, what the glorious days will be. No, that is expired. Why, 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 why do I need to get to heaven when I'm out of the body? Don't forget, even... <laughs> there's a, we know, I know we have challenges in, in the Christian circle in terms of our understanding. I understand that. No disrespect. Yeah. Because the truth is this. You're not going to any heaven somewhere. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do you know what it means? If you, God forbid you die right now, the moment you step out of your body, you are with Jesus. That's it. It's a thin line. You step out, you are with Jesus. Is that you are with Jesus, you are in the body? So where is heaven? Right here. Now, heaven is a realm, a spiritual realm, where God is a king. It's not a geographical location. You may hear things like the third heaven, the seventh heavens, then I'll go into that later on. But the Bible tells us, Philippians 1, 2 Corinthians, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You step out of your body, you are with the Lord. Not that you are ascending and you're going through, uh, you, you take a divine uh, lift and it's taking you to... This is heaven where the throne of God is. I've read some things in books, but if I look at the Bible carefully, 
Okay, thank you. Let me say something. See, you may have read after some men and women of God, but don't think you cannot know better than them. My father in the faith is Papa Egan. I'm an offspring of Papa Egan, and I can speak with all boldness that God told me, say, you need to build on the work that Egan have done. So there are things that I know better than my father can hear again. And I can talk about it anywhere. To limit myself to, the, to what Papa Egan taught me is not to, is to no one to grow in things of the spirit. There are things my papa, I learned from him about tithing and things like that. Now I can say, you know, Papa, with all the respect, it's not like that because Paul said this. This is how you taught us to read the Bible kind of stuff. And when we get to heaven, when I step out, we have those conversations. And we say, you know, you're right because I didn't see that at that point in time. You're correct. Amen. Don't worry, that will open your theology. Amen. <laughs> you know, it's such a beautiful thing to be free in Christ Jesus. Amen. Right. So, uh, Jesus came to take your place, took your place in death and was raised to a new life. You know, let me read this. Uh, Romans 4.25 and then we move on to the next one. I'm, I'm going to read it very quickly. Now, look at what Jesus did for you. So, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us, uh, I'm reading from verse 24. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Do you know what that justification means? To be declared righteous, to be given full access to the Father. Amen. So let's carry on. Uh, I need to speed up a little bit. So what changed in you after you came to Christ? Your looks, your feelings, your thought pattern, your bank account, your spouse? No, it was a spirit. Because you had a spiritual separation from God and Jesus came to give you a new spirit and make you a new person so that you can look like God. The thing is this, the only condition to be a child of God is to look like him. John 4, I can't remember the verse now. Jesus said, God is spirit. So if you want to be a child of God, you got to look like him. And to look like God, you have to be recreated in the image of God. You have to be born again. So to be born again by believing in Christ Jesus is to be recreated to look like God. So if you are born again, Christian child of God, you look like God. Not exterior, but inside and that's why you should be confident to say, I am a child of God. Amen. So if you are born again, you have been recruited and you look like God. So when depression, anxiety hits you, you should know that, no, God will not be struggling with anxiety. I remember there was time for a long time I was being tempted with adultery. It was crazy. You know, the devil was really after me at that point in time of my life. And it was quite intense. Literally, once I step out of my house, it was like a force comes to my head. I was telling me to go find... Another woman and stuff like that it was it was crazy. I think I went with I went three okay I had three months to go home. So it comes back. It was it was it was demonic. You know one thing I said to the devil one day. I said, listen to me. In our family, we don't cheat on our spouse. When I say our family, I'm saying the family of God. We don't cheat on our spouse. It's not in my nature to cheat on my wife. But don't forget, I had those thoughts, and I mean, it was on for nearly over a year to come in, stop, come in, stop. But I said, no, that's, this is not me. We, in, my, in our family, we don't cheat on our spouse. So you demons, you can bombard my hair, 
I ain't changing because I will not follow through with you trying to tell me who I'm not. How many long, how many lines it went for? Over a year. I had three months. I think I had one month break. And that five months, and that break. There was time my wife traveled tonight to, I think, to Ghana. It was just, the battle was going on my mind. I just packed my, my things. I went to Pastor Dial's house. I went to spend weekend. And I fought, I fought this battle. It was so bad one day, I punched the table in my, in my office space. And the dentist is still there today to remind me of the day I said, you know, I ain't going forward with this. Was he adultery the devil was really after? No. One of the things he wanted to kill was this meeting happened today. So in case you seem, it seems like you don't, pastors don't go into stuff, you want to know some hell stuff that we go through. But I will not yield. And, I'm, and I share that with you to tell you guys that it's not, it's not a walk in the park. It's not something you wake up in the morning and say, Satan, I bind you. No. He will stay on your case. Make you want to look like you cannot, you cannot live a victorious Christian life. One day I say, one person will die. Is that me or you, but not me? So I have some serious conversations with this. I say, one person will have to die because things are, I, I, you want to kill my life, right? I said, I said, I said come, 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 come down, come down. I said, show me in the Bible who, and anybody who ever committed adultery and got away with it. I said, if there was none, I would not be the first. When I was going to, it was when I know I can preach. I will preach to myself from morning till night. When I come into the house, it ceases. But once I step out of the house, I say, you won't stop me from going out. That was just one of some demonic attacks that I've been through. Amen. But if I do not know my identity, the guy will just kick me. I just say, you know what? This is me. God have mercy. God pity me. No. I'm going to go fight, though. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things I think I'm grateful God for is that it's only, it kind of helps you to be kind of a fighter. So what I'm trying to say is, is if it, no matter what challenge you're going through in your life, right? if you don't give in, it makes you stronger. Just stand. I didn't have Christians around who can really help and stuff like that. I get to me. Because many people don't know what their identity is. Omar, I go fight though. Okay, I know I have, I have no Nigerians in the house. So when I say Omar, I'm saying, friend, we'll fight, man. We'll fight this. He ain't pretty. But I say, I ain't giving it. Because this is not how we behave in the family. Okay, let me tell you, show you another one. So my father used to be my mom a lot. So before I got married, so this person would come on me and tell me to slap my wife. We're not married then. There was time he was kind of like trying to push me to stab her and stuff like that. So I've been watching and watching. Okay, I've been standing against the blah, blah. So I like, remember I went to say hello to her one day and I was trying to walk through the door. A picture came to my high, to my face, also has to, you know, remind me of when my dad held my auntie's head and hit it on the handle of the door several times, and I screamed. So, brought the picture again to me the day that she was walking me out, evening, and trying to get me to hold her hand. I said, okay. So, you rebuke the devil, he will behave as if he didn't hear, because that guy is so dumb. He will behave as if he didn't hear. So, we got married. After we got married, he came to visit me. No, I think we're not, we're not married then. I think all of, all of that stopped before we got married. So before we got married, I think I was visiting. I can't remember what happened. I entered the house one day. I said, Satan, keep my wife to be out of this matter. Just come out. Show up. And let me and you fight this out. I said, leave my woman out of this. You just come out. 
and let's fight it out. Let's say be recorded out the first man who beat a demon. And that day I was going to fight with everything I've got. That was the last day I had that voice. Say, so time comes when you say enough is enough. I said, just come out. Because you're just being an hypocrite telling me to beat another woman. I said, just come out and let's beat each other. That's, that's what, those were the words I said. I said, just come. I said, because I said I had my office closed and everything on. I said, you know what? Come out. Show up. And let's beat each other. I was so angry. That was the last day I had it. So when they talk about domestic violence and things like that, you think I don't know the forces behind it sometimes. I've been through it. Many of the temptations people go through, I've been through them. I just refuse to yield to them because the greater one lives on the inside of me. Amen. So, the only thing that changed, there's more if you want to hear about the time, right? So I can gist you, you know, about my life. Uh, you know, sometimes people come to me and like, Pastor, you know what I'm going through? And I laugh. I'm like, <laughs> you have no clue that what we're going through. Because when you know what we are going through right now, you know that yours is just um, a walk in the park. Amen. The devil's a liar. Let's go. Right. Impact on the spiritual. I'm going to run this through this quickly. I want us to get into intimacy with God. It's so vital. It's so important. But this, I need to just ensure I run through this for you guys because the Holy Spirit was on my case on this one. The Holy Spirit was so much on my case to flesh this out. So, now, when you give your life to Christ... On my right-hand side, I'm going to read it because quite tiny, you may not be able to read it. So what happened to your spirit? Your spirit was saved by Christ. It bears God nature. Romans 5, 5 says the love of God, the God kind of love has been poured out into your spirit. So you may not feel like loving your friends, your neighbors, and everybody else, but inside of you is a God kind of, excuse me, God kind of love. And inside of you, you are brand new, Right? You carry Christ on the inside of you. The Bible says in Galatians 4, 6 that God has sent the spirit of Christ to dwell on the inside of you by whom you cry, Abba, Father. The spirit of Jesus is inside of you as I'm speaking. Right. Now, inside you are righteous, you are holy, you have a new source of life. Friends, can I say to you that the Christian life can never be lived. A successful Christian life can never be achieved by human strength. It's a lie. It won't work. You won't succeed. Now, when you were in the world, you, you can believe in motivation, self-talk, you know, I can do the willpower. But in Christ, you can never, because it's a different kingdom. Don't forget that after Adam's sin, what happened? He started looking at himself. What can I do? My abilities. But the moment you become a child of God, you come into the kingdom of God. Jesus is king. God is God. He's a king of kings. In the kingdom of God, we operate by different rules. We operate by faith. We walk by the leading of the Holy Ghost. We don't rely on our human strength. It's a different kingdom. One of the reasons why many Christians wear out today is because they are trying to live life by their own human strength. You will be worn out because the forces in this world that you cannot see are much more powerful than your human strength. A demon, an unclean spirit, can, okay, a demon unclean spirit can, I mean, can hold all those doors by those, um, those, Partition doors that are on my right hand side. An unclean spirit can hold them by one hand. So if you're talking about human strength, you can't beat them. But when we talk about authority in Christ Jesus, they'll respect you. Now let me give you a brief of history about, about unclean spirit demons. They are all now the Bible tells us that all things were created for Christ, for by Christ and for Christ. Demons know that Jesus is their boss. They were rebuilt spirits, in a sense. 
So when you stand and you look at a demonic situation and you say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, if you know even... <laughs> Those guys, they're in the realm of the spirit. They can know when you believe. They know when you don't believe. They know if you have that garment of righteousness. They know if you're a child of God. They know. Because they're spiritual. They know. So if you truly believe in Christ Jesus and you say, you this, blah, 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 this, they know. If you are speaking from the place of knowing and authority, they will respect you. They will be. But if you're trying to cook it up, they know. They will not respond. So in you is Christ living. In the kingdom of God, is once you... Once you become a child of God, the game has changed. It has changed. Amen. Right, so the soul, the, your mind, will, and emotion, they are being saved. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 21. That's not here there, but James 1, 21. I'll quickly go there so I can wrap this up. James 1, and then we'll have a short break. James 1, 21. It reads... Now, it says, get rid, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Okay, let me read the New King James. I like how New King James put it. Roman, James 1, 21. So, therefore, lay aside, which is to get rid of all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. Now, the spirit is saved by Christ. The soul is being saved by the word of God, which means being renewed, being restored, being made new, and the body will be saved in the future. Now, that body we're talking about, the body that the kind of body God gave to Adam is the one that cannot perish. But sin corrupted that body, and that's why you see human beings die. Right? But don't forget that this is the soul is the center of action for your life. Every output in your life is a, comes from your soul. So we need to ensure that we align that guy with your spirit so that you live right and do the right things. If your soul is not educated and trained to know that you're now a new person and align with that, you're going to have a lot of problems there. You just be, keep acting as if you are still the old man, the natural man, the fallen man, the sinner, the depressed person, the anxious person, the, all kinds of negative things. Because after you give your life to Christ, this guy has not changed. All those feelings, those information are still there. So you need to replace them so that it can receive clear signals from the spirit so that you can, you can give your body a new instruction. So you are not your human body because you can choose to sit down here all day and you can choose to stand up. So your, your body is subject to your will. What you choose to do. So what do you choose to do? Do you choose to do things based on what the Holy Spirit tells you? Or do you choose to do things based on how you feel, based on the information you have gathered before you were saved? Amen. Uh, so finally, the new you. We talked about it. You are a child of God. Simple. You are a child of God. And this is a starting point. This is a starting, this is where the journey really begins. Understanding what it means that you're a child of God. All the ramifications of what it means to be a child of God. So that you can walk in that boldness, that confidence, that courage, that that helps you to defeat life circumstances, no matter how long they stand, they, they stand against you. I told you one of them that I went for for over a year. Fantastic. Right? We're good? So, uh, quickly, we've talked about this a lot. Most of the time, people will look at you based on what you look like, 
how you feel. Guys, let's go for a break. Five minutes break. We'll come back. Hmm? Are you sure? Are you, are you guys, do you guys want to continue to, for me to quickly finish this? They go for a break? Sure. Now, so this, is, this part is exciting. Now, your parent, your friends, and many names, many categories of people I called out earlier on, we call you and describe you based on what they think. Don't forget, you are a spirit. So a person who is not born again, who does not know God, can never know you. They can never know the real you. What they will be calling you is what they think you are. Because even if you are still calling yourself what you think you are, how much more other people? So that's why all the names people call you are not the names you answer to. When somebody calls you a name, when your mom calls you lazy, you go and take your Bible. What does the Bible say about me? Ah, the Bible says, no, ah, the power of God is at work on inside of me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can, I can, I can, I can. Ah, okay, ah, mommy, we told you respect your, you're correct. Your daddy says, why are you so ugly? <coughs> ah, Psalm 139. Psalm 139 said, hey, God sat as if he had no job. I was looking at how I was formed in my mother's womb. All my days has written his hand. How fearfully and wonderfully made. Ah, daddy, with all the respect, you are not right. Uncle comes and says, you are 27, you are not married. Look at you. Who will marry you? I said, I don't understand. The Lord said you supply all my needs according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Okay, the Lord said that, you know, it makes all things work together for my good. The, you look at everything. Ah, uncle, auntie, you are not right. People who do not know the provisions of God for you can never know you. You know, I was speaking somewhere two weeks ago, and someone, I was speaking, and someone, someone was thinking by my body language, they can get what was on my, what was on my mind. I said, you can never know me. It's my wife who can know me. Because she was the one who lives on this. And because even herself, she's thinking, I don't even know what you're saying. I said, don't worry, I'll explain to you. You can ask her, I'll explain to you. That's why, so don't, don't go by my body language, because you don't really know what's on my inside. But you, how, you, what you can <laughs> Now, what you can know that's on my inside is when I'm responding to the word of God. How I respond, you know that's what's on inside of me. But, but dealing with the situation you think you would know is no. Because I will process it, I will to process it from God's perspective, not human perspective. So I'm saying to you, people who don't know God can never know you. So if they call you a name that does not give you joy and peace on the inside, reject it. If you have any kind of discomfort by any kind of names or label or anybody places on you, go check your Bible to get the right version. Because your spirit is telling you that that name they just called you, I don't agree with it. That is not me. So the Christian life is a serious business. Amen. So people will say things like, you are your flaws, you are your weakness, you are drunk, you are an adulterer, you are a backbiter, you are good for nothing. Or they will say you are your color. You know, black people are like this. No, white people are like this. White people are slave traders. Who told you? Were you there? Were you there? Which of your family was taken as slave? Were you there? Let me take you to Bible times. The Jews were taking Jews as slaves. What are you talking about? Yeah, white, white. No, 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 no. The Middle Eastern people in the Bible. They were slave traders. And they were not taking people of that color as slaves. They were taking people of their color as slaves. What about that? Own Simos, go and read your Bible, was a slave of um, Philemon. 
What am I talking about? Were you there? So people will say all manner of things about your color, your high and stereotype here and there. I was saying something about, I talked about tribalism in Africa, in Nigeria particularly, and a few other things I've covered. That's why I say, you know what? I just focus on the fact that there is sin in the world and there's some people that are saved because they have different shades and manifestations in my business. It's just going to be confusing me and I find myself focusing on what I should not focus on. There's a lot for me to know about who I am. Then I'll sit down and be reading statistics about, no, the black people were this, the white people were this, and they did this. Just ask those people, what does God call you in this situation? How will you deal with it from the word of God? Many of them don't have an answer. I know a guy, he knows so many names, but he doesn't know his Bible. He, no, he will, t- he, will, he, will, he will quote the names of many, many preachers and what they've said, but he does not know the Bible. When it comes to the Bible, he says, you know, you know more, more than me in the Bible. Why don't you spend that time to read your Bible to know what God is? Oh, goodness, God, some people just don't know what they're supposed to be doing with their time. Amen. So people call you all manner of names. Watch out for those. Um, how people see you. If you don't fit into, into the criteria they have set, if you don't live up to the expectation, you know, if you don't meet the societal standard, People will just call you names. You got to recognize this, and not, uh, recognize this and not answer to that. So I said, if people do not know God and Jesus, they cannot know me, you. So when you, when, sometimes when you say to people, you can't know me, you know, it, sometimes you may look like you are arrogant. I mean, when you're speaking to unsaved people, but don't feel arrogant. It's the truth. If they're not born again, they cannot know the real you. Finally, I love how Paul said this. I think it's a living Bible. I can't remember exactly which version is this. So stop, so stop evaluating Christians by what the world thinks about them or by what they seem to be like on the outside. This is a word for us. Stop evaluating based on how the world, the unsaved, think you should be. Amen. Pastors need to hear this. I, I, hope, I, was, I hope I was speaking in the pastor's conference. Now, Paul said, once I mistakenly thought of Christ that way, merely as a human being like myself, how differently I feel now. When someone becomes a Christian, it becomes a brand new person. Inside, not outside. Brand new, inside. is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. What is it? A new what? Life. Don't forget in Genesis chapter the Bible says when God breathed into the nurseries of that body, it said that person became a living being. Life came in. Which means the spirit is what? Life. So when you become born again, you have a new life, a new spirit. In conclusion, the, uh, the true, the Christian's true identity and all their potential lie in the spiritual realm. What you are capable of doing is in your spirit. You got to find it, discover it and leave it out. There's no limitation to what you can do in God's sight. Paul had quit judging people based on their physical appearance and capabilities. See, don't look at a friend and say, you know, she's a good singer, she can do this. Oh, how poor me. No! Praise the Lord. I'll talk more on that one when I get to stuff. So I have a call to action for you guys. You know, what you feed your mind, what you say. Okay, okay, what do you feed your mind? That's what, I was, what, am I, that's what I was trying to say there. What do you feed your mind? What do you say? 
We, who are your friends and what emotions do you yield to? Right. So uh, I think I caught some, some sentence out of that. So what is important is what you, what you feed your mind, what you say, who are your friends, because those guys who will define you to a very much extent, and then the emotions you to. Because that's why I'll, I can explain that much more later on. I think I, was, I didn't complete them because I was rushing for, for, to come here this morning. Fine, so let's take um, some break.